Last week, we began a new series called Unstuck. Our, our church's vision is very easy to remember. It's move beyond. It's very simple, move beyond. The idea that wherever you are in your faith, that there's always something greater to which you can move beyond, and that God calls you to move beyond in your faith. Now, while our vision might be easy to remember, sometimes the application of it can be a little bit difficult. Because I know sometimes we start out with good intentions and we start out our Christian faith and we're just going and we're growing and everything's going fine and we feel closer and closer and closer to Jesus every day. But then all of a sudden something happens and things just kind of screech to a halt or we feel like we're stuck in our relationship. We've gone about as far as we can. We just feel stuck. I know last fall when we were talking about our vision, I challenged you in some different areas to move beyond. And I know some of you... took that challenge and have made remarkable progress in your Christian faith. But then I know some of you have talked to me and said, well, I got this far, but I just feel like I'm stuck. I just feel like I can't go any farther. Well, what we want to do over the next few weeks is to help you get unstuck. Wherever you are stuck in your walk with Christ, wherever you are stuck in your faith, we want to get you unstuck so that you can move beyond what's holding you back. Now, today, even if you've never had to provide a verbal answer, there's a question that you answer every day by your actions. And that question is, do you want to be used by God to make a real difference or are you content to be mediocre? Do you want to be used by God to make a real difference or are you content to be mediocre. Now, I hope that you would say, yes, I, I really want to make a difference, and I would hope that your life shows that you really want to make a difference. But the reality is, a lot of us are just spending our lives being mediocre. You, you know what that means. You're not particularly happy, but you're not particularly miserable either. You're not destructive but you're not particularly constructive either. You're not lazy, but then you're not particularly motivated either. And you're not sick, but you don't feel particularly well either. I mean, overall, life's not bad. But then again, it's not that good either. And you find yourself stuck in a mediocre existence. And when someone asks you how you're doing, your general answer is the mantra of mediocrity. Well, I'm just getting by. A lot of us can relate to that. Now, some Christians are okay with that lifestyle. Some are just fine with it. It's it's not rewarding particularly, but it's a safe way to live. It's a predictable way to live. It's a no-risk-involved way to live. And then some Christians are living mediocre lives, but oblivious to the fact that God has something greater, far greater for them in their lives. Mediocrity is all they've ever known. In fact, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has said mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself. And then some people might wish that their lives were better. They might wish they were making a difference. But they've reached a point in their lives where they've just resigned themselves to believing that mediocre is the best their life is ever going to be. There's a song 
an old song that says, One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate and I understand the sentiment of that song. If that's your favorite song, I'm not knocking your favorite song. I appreciate and understand the sentiment. I also think it has a ring of humility to it. I also think it reminds us not to get too far ahead of ourselves. I think it reminds us that in the process of growing in a relationship with Christ or in the process of going through a recovery, that one day, one step at a time is meaningful. But one day at a time, that's all I'm asking from you. Is that really all that God wants us to ask from him? The words of Paul come to mind, Romans 8, 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You are a child of God. You are an heir to the kingdom. You can ask more from life than just getting by or just making it through another day. Jesus himself says that mediocrity is not the best that God has to offer. John 10.10 says, Jesus, these are his words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, mediocrity is a thief. It's a thief. And too many of us are letting mediocrity rob us of the full and the abundant and the extraordinary life that God has for his children. Instead of, experience, instead of experiencing a full life, we find that we're stuck in mediocrity. So this week, regardless of how you got stuck or where you're stuck in mediocrity, what we want to do is to get you unstuck so that you can get on with the extraordinary life that God has planned for you. First, let me define mediocrity as it relates to the Christian life. I want to tell you this right off the bat. Today, what I'm talking about has absolutely nothing to do with money or possessions. Nothing whatsoever to do with money or possessions. It has absolutely nothing to do with fame and fortune. You can be incredibly successful in the world. You can have all kinds of possessions. You can be famous you can be a person of renown in society and in the world and still be mediocre when it comes to the things of God. Sometime when you're doing your Bible study, read in the third chapter of Revelation about the church at Laodicea. They were a mediocre bunch. Now, they had all kinds of riches and possessions. They were set. But God had another reason for saying that they were mediocre. So, what is mediocrity from a spiritual perspective? What are we talking about? I like what A.W. Tozer says. He says, mediocre 
means halfway up between the valley and the peak. It means halfway between where we used to be and where we ought to be. In other words, you've climbed out of that dark valley of, of sin and you've started your climb to this shining peak that God has for you. The problem is you found a cave along the way and you crawled in that cave and you thought, hey, this is pretty comfortable in here. You know, I'm, I'm not way down there. I know I'm not up there yet, but I'm, hey, I'm better than I was. It's comfortable in this cave. I think I'll just stay here in this cave. I can't see the valley. I can't see the peak. It's just kind of comfortable. And you find yourself stuck. Well, what we want to answer today is, how did you get stuck? And how do you get unstuck? Actually, the answer to both questions is the same, believe it or not. A.W. Tozer says this, Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He, has, he is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. The first time I read that statement, I went, what? What? That's not how it works. He's got to know what he's talking about. Then I read the rest of the quote. The rest of the quote says this, yet we must distinguish wanting from wishing. By want, I mean wholehearted desire. Wholehearted desire. Why are you stuck? You are stuck because you have lost your wholehearted desire to grow in Christ, to become like Jesus, to become what God wants you to be. You've lost your wholehearted desire to do it. And what this guy's saying here is, look, you can be as close to God as you want to be. God hasn't gone anywhere. God wants to be close to you. God will allow you to get as close to him as you wholeheartedly want to be. You're stuck because that wholehearted desire is not there anymore. And the only way that you're going to get unstuck is when you regain that wholehearted desire to strive to become like Jesus, to be close to God, and to live the life that God has planned for you to live. Well, knowing why and knowing how are pretty easy sometimes, but how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you actually do it? Well, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 today. I think Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a great plan for getting unstuck. Now, I will say that the analogy we just talked about was a valley and a peak and related to mountain climbing. Now, when we get to Hebrews, we're going to switch, and now we're going to use a sports analogy about races, okay? So I just want to tell you, I do know that there's a difference here. Let's read Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse tells us a couple of things, and the first thing it says is look at the winners. Look at the winners. Winners inspire us. In fact, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the one that precedes this, 
you will read about all sorts of people who did incredible things in the kingdom of God, who fulfilled what God had planned for them in their lives because of their faith. It's an inspiring chapter to read, and I hope you'll read it sometime. So these people that are in chapter 11 are the people that are being referred to here in chapter 12 when he talks about this great cloud, this great assembly, this great mass of witnesses. But it's not suggested here that they are kind of up in heaven, in the heavenly bleachers, looking down at us and saying, hey, way to go down there. That's not what he's talking about here. Witnesses does not mean spectators. In fact, the English word martyr comes directly from the Greek word which means witness. These are not people who are witnessing what we're doing. These are people who are bearing witness to us of what God can do and how God can fulfill his will in the life of someone who follows him. If you read this and the only thing you take away from it was, look, there were a bunch of people that did some pretty incredible things and they're up there cheering us on. If that's all you take from it, then you've missed a whole lot of what is meant here. Because what you learn by looking at these winners, the witness that they are bearing to us, is the idea that they did not settle for mediocrity. No, they weren't perfect. Yes, they made mistakes. But they didn't settle for mediocrity. They were people who pressed on in their faith in spite of their flaws, in spite of the difficulties. And God was able to fulfill in their lives what he had planned for them. One of the best ways, I think, to be inspired to move beyond mediocrity is to look at the winners. The Bible's full of them. In fact, faith history is full of winners, people who were able to fulfill God's will in their lives. Now, you can probably name some big ones. I think Billy Graham may fit in there. But, but there's, there's some others uh, you know this guy? Maybe I'll tell you his name. It's George Mueller. Still nothing, huh? Actually, if you go eat lunch at Cracker Barrel today, you know, that looks like one of those old pictures they have hanging on the wall. George has got a smile, and I like this picture. He's got this little smile on his face. I want to tell you about George. George Mueller was born in 1808. He was born in Germany, actually. And from his earliest memory, he was a liar and a thief. He stole from his family. He stole from his friends. He lied about anything and everything. And he really liked to drink. Even from an early age, that was his life. He was lying, stealing, and drinking and hurting the people that he loved. But then at the age of 16, he was arrested. And the, the, the jails at that time, well, not that they're any great thing now, but they were really, really, really bad, nasty, scary places to be. Uh, George's dad thought, well, 16-year-old, I'm going to teach him a lesson. So when he got thrown in jail, his dad left him there for three days, hoping it would teach him a lesson. Well, he got out, didn't do a thing. Didn't do a thing. He went right back to doing what he was doing. And then one day, 
he found himself in a prayer meeting of all places where people were talking about the gospel of Christ. And as a result of that meeting that he found himself in, George gave his life to Christ. But George didn't just go home and sit down and go, oh, man, I'm glad all that's behind me. I am glad I've climbed out of that old life that I was in. I am just so happy. I'm just going to sit here at home, and I'm just going to relax, and I'm going to be comfortable, and I'm going to praise Jesus till I die. I'm just going to be another run-of-the-mill, just happy. No, he didn't do that, actually. What happened was he moved to England, went to London to train to be a missionary to the Jews. Then in 1832, he moved to Bristol, England, where he became a pastor. And he turned a little bitty failing church into a thriving church in that community. In 1834, George Mueller set up the Scriptural Knowledge Institute that over the course of its life trained over 7,000 people in the Bristol area and beyond. And he worked with the poor. And he had a special heart for orphans. He noticed that the mortality rate was very high. And what was happening was that parents were dying and leaving children to fend for themselves. Because in, in those days, th there was no assistance for these children. And if their parents died, they were left to either find food and shelter or die. And that touched George's heart. So what he did was he bought a house. And he opened it up for orphans in the community. Well, it became so crowded, to make a long story short, he ended up eventually buying the whole street and turning all the houses into orphanages. Well, he was very successful at that. So at the age of 70, you would think, hey, it's time to retire. Now I'll go sit down and I'll relax and I'll just spend my life just being happy. Nah, that wasn't good enough for him. George Mueller, at age 70, went on a world preaching and lecturing tour. Also, he raised funds for his orphanage while he traveled. And in those following years, he traveled thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. It is estimated that he spoke to over 3 million people in 42 countries. And he died at the age of 93. That's a long story. But what it says is that he didn't settle for just, I found Jesus, now I'm going to be mediocre. He knew that God had a plan for his life, and it was an exciting one that kept changing and kept moving till the day he died. And he was determined to fulfill it. Those are the kind of people that the writer to Hebrews wants us to look to. Certainly the biblical ones that he talks about, but anyone in the faith who has been able to move beyond mediocrity to become the person that God wants him to be. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a ton of these people. Here's verse 1 again. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. But here's what he says to do. Let us throw off everything that hinders, the, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He starts out by saying, look at the winners. But here he says, look at yourself. 
Look at yourself, not as a comparison to these folks, but look at yourself in the sense that you've got to want this. You've got to really want it. Remember we talked about that wholehearted desire that you need? He says, you've got to want this. Look at yourself. You've got to want it. And he tells us to do a couple of things. He says, in a spiritual way, put off the weights that are holding you back. What are the weights? Well, it's anything, really, that hinders your progress. It can even be good things, surprisingly. It's not just bad things. It can be good things. I mean, think about it. You get phone calls all the time. I know they're annoying, but, but by and large, some of those phone calls of people wanting you to help are from decent organizations that are doing good work. You see commercials on TV all the time about good organizations that are doing good work. People want you to volunteer for good causes all the time. But see, here's the trick for the Christian. And this is what it means when you want to set off these weights and when you want to determine even what good things I should be involved in. It's, it's not for us the difference between good and bad, but rather it's the difference between better and best. That's what we should be looking for in our lives. You see, a lot of people say yes to a lot of things. And what happens is the weight that holds people down is they're involved in so many things, they can't do anything well. Instead of doing a few things and doing them with excellence and becoming the person God wants them to be, they try to do everything and end up being mediocre at everything. That's a weight that holds you down. Learn to say no even to good things. And he says, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. He doesn't mention a specific sin, but what he implies here is that it's those sins that are kind of easily accessible. You know, those that you know are kind of right there close at hand. Those that you kind of call on every now and then. Those are the ones that entangle you because they're close to you all the time. Now, they're different for all of us. Some of us may share the same ones, but they're unique to everybody. It may be laziness, it may be pride, it may be anger, it may be jealousy. They're all lurking around. They're all lurking around. You can call on them at the drop of a hat. They're right there. He says, get rid of those. They're entangling you. They're keeping you from doing and being the person that God wants you to be. And he says, you get rid of these because they're keeping you stuck. Get rid of them. So you can persevere. And the idea, when he talks about that you can persevere, that you can, can run this race with perseverance, is the idea of a continuation. It, it involves the start, the in the middle, and the continuation of it. That's what we want to do. It's, it's not a stop and a start kind of thing. It's, it's a continuation that we are always constantly do this. And we can't do that if we're holding on to these things that weigh us down, and if we're holding on to these things that trip us up, we've got to get rid of them. And he says that we need to run the path, the course that's marked out for us. We live in community as believers in Christ, and community is very, very important for us. But God has marked out a unique path, and he has a unique purpose for all of us in the kingdom. And we need to put aside all of these other things so that we can become what he wants us to be. And here's what's most important. Verses 2 and 3. He says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the pioneer. He's the one that originated it. He's the first one to run it. And he's the perfecter. He was the first one to finish the race. So who do you want to look to? The one who originated it and the first one to finish. That's what he's saying in our lives. Look to him. And to look doesn't mean just a casual glance. To look means to trust. You don't want to just glance at him. You want to trust him. And when you fix your eyes on him, when you trust him, it describes an attitude. And here's that attitude. He, when we trust Jesus, when we look to him, he, he talks about here in Hebrews, he said that, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned the shame. Scorn means that he looked down on it and thought little of it. And I love this. Because Jesus, as our example, is someone who faced the cross, who endured the cross. But because of the joy that was out there, it meant little in the sense that it was not worth giving up what was beyond. He went willingly to the cross The cross was worth everything for our salvation. But what Jesus knew was the joy that lay out there far outweighed the pain and suffering that he personally would go through. It's great for us that as we look to Jesus, what it allows us to do is to look beyond any pain and suffering we would go to. See, here's the thing. A lot of us are safe in being mediocre. It's safe. It's easy. Nobody ever bothers us. We never have to commit to anything. We never have to really do anything. It's safe. We don't have any trouble because we never tick anybody off because we're never around anybody. It's safe. But we look to Jesus to get beyond safe. And you have to develop that mentality that even the difficulties that you are going to go through, if you look to Jesus, you're going to have this attitude that what lies beyond it is so far greater than what you're going to go through, whatever pain you're going to go through, that it's worth it. It's worth it. It's infinitely worth it to go on and to be the person you want to be. And when Jesus looks beyond And when he sees what's beyond, the joy that's out there, it's not just the joy of sitting down at the right hand of God, but it's that joy of fulfilling his mission, what he was sent here for. And see, for us, when we move beyond mediocrity, when we realize that these things that are going to be difficult in our life are not even comparing to what lies out ahead, we're not just talking about heaven. We're not just talking about God saying, well done, but we're talking about the joy and, and the just amazing life that he has planned for you to live. The joy comes from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. And nothing compares to that and the fact that when you get welcomed home, he says, 
well done. But he says in verse 3, he says, consider him. Consider him. Do a complete analysis is what he means. Do a complete analysis of Jesus. Everything about him. And when you do so, you will not only find the perfect example to follow, but what he says here is you will find the power to follow. He says, consider him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. You'll find the power to move beyond mediocre, to fulfill the calling and the life that God has for you, to enjoy that extraordinary life that he has for us. He'll give you the power to do that. When you consider him, when you consider him, then what you will do is you will develop a vision that is larger than right now. A vision that's larger than right now. You will develop a vision that is bigger than your difficulties. You will develop a vision that is bigger than your limitations. And regardless of what you face in life, regardless of what you face, the vision of the joy that's out there, the joy that lies beyond mediocrity, will keep you going. Not just the joy in heaven, but the joy of becoming the person that God wants you to be. So here's the question. Do you want to be used by God to make a real difference? Or are you just content to be mediocre? Let's pray.